guys can have a seat. How's everybody doing today? I, uh, I, I, had, a, I had to wrestle with some things this week. I, I am always a stickler. I don't know why, but I think that we get a little carried away with Christmas, and we set up Christmas too early, and we keep it going too long. Is anybody else with me? Like, like I am, uh, my, my wife would have Christmas tree up year-round. She would have lights on our house year-round. She would do the whole Christmas thing, like, every moment of every year. And usually, on most years, when she comes to me, is like, I want to put the Christmas tree up right now. And I'm always like, no, it cannot go up until after Thanksgiving, right? Which is like the standard. Is that the standard policy? Are you guys with me on that? Like, Thanksgiving is when the tree goes up, and then uh, New Year's is when it comes down, right? That's, I don't know, that feels like the cultural norm. That feels like what I'm supposed to do. Um, I'm, I'm not one of these irresponsible people who has their Christmas lights up, like January 30th. Right, I'm, I'm, we're, we're taking care of those things and doing those things. But uh, my wife came to me yesterday, and she said, "Ben, it's 2020, and it's been a terrible year, and I want the Christmas tree up today." And you know what I did? I went straight up to the attic and I pulled everything down, and there is now Christmas trees in our house. And I am doing whatever I can uh, to bring the joy of <laughs> of the season early. I think, I, I wish there was a way to like start celebrating the new year already, right? Could we just skip the 2021 already? But it's been an emotional year. It's been a crazy month. It's been a, a, a crazy season. We've gone through the middle of an economic crisis, a racial crisis, a political crisis. All of these things have converged at once. And, and I don't know if you guys were paying attention, but there were two old guys that were running for president this week, and one of them won. Uh, and that's been a big deal, and everybody's choosing their old guy, and emotions are running high, and some people like this old guy, and other people like this old guy, and uh, it's been a little crazy. Uh, but I want to make it really clear for us, just because there's a new president does not mean that anything is fixed or resolved or healed in our country. Uh, there are still um, battles to be fought, and those battles are not often just fought in the presidency. They're not just fought in the highest offices in the land. They're fought in our everyday life. And so racism still exists in our country, and it's our call as the people of God to step into the gap and fight for racial equality. Uh, abortion still exists in our country, and it's our job as followers of Christ to step in and fight for the unborn. It's our job to step in and fight for the immigrants and for the poor. It's our job to fight for the least of these and to care. And the work doesn't stop just simply because a new president has been elected. And so as we've been walking through 1 Kings, we've been looking at the highest office in the land. We've been looking at the kings. And for the first 17 chapters of 1 Kings, we look at the presidents and the kings, the lawmakers, the ones who are in the highest office of the land and can make decisions and have authority and have power and have the ability to change and make laws and create policy and all of those things. And then in chapter 17, everything shifts because we begin to look now for the rest of the chapter at an everyday, normal guy just like us. We're no longer talking about the lawmakers. We're no longer talking about the line of kings. We are talking about a normal guy named Elijah. He's just like us. He's a citizen of the kingdom. He wasn't born into some special elite class. He wasn't born into a ruling a family where he was going to have some level of authority. He didn't have any position of authority, any position of law or anything 
He just simply was a normal guy. And I feel like what we see in Elijah is what we need to see in ourselves. What we see in Elijah is that it doesn't matter who the king is, I'm going to work for the kingdom. It doesn't matter who the president is, I'm going to work for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter who sits in the highest office of the land, whether it's a good king or a bad king, what matters to me is I'm going to follow Christ today. For him, he's going to follow God today. And so we move from office, looking at the office of the highest power to looking at the normal everyday life of a follower of God. And 1 Kings chapter 16.30 ends with this. It says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. That feels like the history of the kings, doesn't it? It just feels like there's, it, it, it just every king after king, they do evil in the sight of the Lord. But then it says this, more than all who were before him. So more than Solomon, more than Jeroboam, more than Rehoboam, more than all of these folks that have come before him. And, and as if this has been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam and the son of Naboth, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidoans, and he went and he began serving Baal and worshiping him. And so he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. So not only is Ahab a bad dude, but Ahab has begun worshiping another god. He's nationalized the religion of worshiping another god. This god is called Baal. Uh, and we're going to spend some time talking about Baal over the coming weeks because he's an important figure in this moment. But what we see is we see that he is the god of the Canaanites. Uh, he's a vicious and he's a cruel god. He's a god that requires child sacrifice, which is a bad thing, right? He's a, he's a God that requires child sacrifice. He's a God of power. And what Baal is known for in the ancient world is that Baal is the God who conquered all the other gods. So the rumor is, the way that they talked about Baal was Baal is a horned figure who showed up and began to fight and battle all of the other gods. And repeatedly, he won these battles. He defeated the other gods. And, and then he returned to the land of death, the underworld, where he would bring rain to renew the earth's fertility. He's the God of the harvest, is what he's called. And so because he wins all of these battles against the other gods, the ancient world believed that Baal was the God who always brought about a good harvest. He always brought about abundance. He always brought about riches. If Baal was your God, then your crops were going to be good, your cattle was going to do well, which for us in our culture, we're like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. In an agrarian culture, right, when your world is built on whether your crops succeed and whether your cattle grow and, and, and your whole whether you eat is based on this, there was no Kroger back then, right? There, this is all about whether these things happen. And so he had this power to prevent storms, he had this power over the seas, he had this power over the harvest. And all of these things made him incredibly attractive to the Israelites because they wanted abundance. They wanted to win. They wanted a harvest. They wanted everything to go well. And they wanted that more than they wanted faithfulness to God. Now, there's a constant temptation both in Scripture and in our everyday lives to worship the gods of our culture. This is nothing new. Our, our, our faith is revealed by who we worship. Our faith is revealed by what we put our trust in and what we put our faith in and what we put our hope in. And Baal was attractive to the people of God because he was powerful and we want power. 
Baal was attracted to the people of God because he was a provider, and they wanted somebody to provide for them. Baal was attracted to the people of God because they, he was a winner, and they wanted to win. But the problem was that all the promises that allegedly were fulfilled in Baal had already been fulfilled in the God of Israel. The God of Israel has proven over and over again his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. Our God has proven over and over that he is our protector, that he is our provider, that when we put our faith in him, we will not be disappointed. I love the text in scripture that says, those who hope in him will not be disappointed. That when we put our hope and faith in him, we will not be disappointed. So there is a way that we can live in which we bow to the altars of the cultural gods, and then there is a way that we can live where we walk in kingdom faith. And while the rest of the world, the King Ahabs of the world, the leaders, and nearly all of Israel had begun worshiping Baal, Elijah comes forward, Elijah steps on the scene, and Elijah says, I'm not going to do it. In fact, I'm going to be so faithful to God that I'm going to do everything that God asked me to do no matter how difficult it is. Sometimes as the people of God, what we want is we want to walk in faith, but we don't want the fight or we don't want the battle that's involved in it. We wanna walk in faith, but we wanna look like culture. We wanna walk in faith, but we don't wanna ruffle any feathers. We wanna walk in faith, but we don't wanna disrupt anything or cause any problems or challenge anything or anybody around us. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse one, Elijah shows up and it says this. Now Elijah, the Tishabite, of Tishbe of Gilead says to Ahab, there's all these words and places and you, just, you can just ignore them. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Elijah predicts a drought. He says, listen, here, you guys, everybody has turn their back on God, we're worshiping this other God, we've created, they're, they're, you, it, it's easy to make a jump that child sacrifice is now happening in Israel, right? We talked about Israel moving from the oppressed to the oppressors, now they've taken it to another, whole nother level of, uh, of, of degradation, right? There's terrible, terrible things happening. And, and, and here's where I wanna start. Kingdom faith always begins with listening to God's voice. It says, and the word of the Lord came to him. And, and here's the question that I would ask you. If you go back through the story of your life, if you go back through the history of your journey with God, there are moments when your story is written and it would say, and the word of the Lord came to Frankie. And the word of the Lord came and we started to hear and we started to realize and the word of the Lord came to us. And the question about the story of our life is this is the repeating phrase that happens in Elijah's life. So over and over in the next few chapters, we're gonna hear this phrase, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And every time the word of the Lord comes to us, we have this choice, we have this ability to hear the clear invitation of God and walk in it and step into the places that the Father's called us to or to back down and to shrink back and to step away from the places that God has called us to. The journey of our life is always a journey of listening to the voice of God and obeying when he speaks. This is the characteristic of walking in kingdom faith. It's being able to discern the voice of God in our lives, being able to know what he's speaking, being able to, and then being able to walk in it and step into the places that God has called us to, to walk in. And God is always inviting us into a different space. And in these different spaces, we have to put our trust in him. And, and here's the challenge that Elijah's facing. And it's a challenge that all of us facing. And it's the challenge that chapter 17 lays before us really clearly. 
is that when there's a drought, when it feels like God's not providing at the rate we want him to provide, when it feels like God is not showing up and doing what we want him to do in our timeline, our temptation is always to take shortcuts. That's what Solomon did over and over again was he wanted to work on his timetable and not God's table. And each time, God seemed a little insufficient. God seemed a little slow. God seemed a little uh, lacking in some way. And so we chose to walk through our own doors and walk through our own ways and do our own things. And what Elijah does is he only faithfully walks through the doors that God opens. So verse 6, he goes out. He's sent by God to a brook in the middle of nowhere. Remember, there's a drought in the land, right? So there's no rain. The rivers are drying up. Everything's drying up. And it says this, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and the bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up because there was no, because there was no rain in the land. Uh, so he's sent out to this place. God just says, I'm sending you this brook. I don't know what he's supposed to do with this brook, but he listens to God and he obeys. The ravens feed him, which I can't imagine that's a really great meal, right? I can't imagine that he's being, like, that's not a steak dinner. I don't know what that is, but I, I know what the ravens eat, and I don't want any of that, right? And so he's getting these meals from the ravens. He's hanging out at the brook. Listen, this is really key. He's done everything that God has asked him to do, and the brook dries up. Have you ever been there? You feel like, God, I'm following you. I'm walking where you asked me to go. I'm, I'm, I'm eating what the ravens are giving me right now. I, I'm doing all of these sacrificial things, and, and the brook's drying up. Have you ever been in that space where you feel like because you show up in the place that God's called you to show up, you feel like God should bless or God should show up or something big or amazing or incredible should happen in your own life? Uh, what's happening here is just because God tells us to go doesn't mean the brook's not going to dry up. Just because God invites us into a particular space does not mean that that space won't be difficult or won't be hard. In fact, oftentimes, when I hear a thus saith the Lord, or the Lord has invited you, or the word of the Lord comes to Ben, it actually challenges me more than it comforts me. It actually makes my life more difficult than more easy. Because here's what we want. We want results and we want comfort. God wants our hearts. And sometimes our hearts are for the challenge of difficulty. Sometimes our hearts are shaped when the brook dries up. And so there's this one step at a time, this progressive revelation. Elijah is sent to Ahab. Elijah is told to declare that there's a drought. Elijah is sent to the brook. And next, Elijah is sent to the widow. And sometimes it's hard for us to sit and watch the brook dry up. Uh, as, as I was reading this this week and, and studying this passage, it feels like 2020 has been a year where we've been sent to watch a brook dry up. Are you with me? It feels like this challenging season where we've been invited into this space that's difficult, where the church is kind of waiting and gathering and hoping, and, and we're all wanting coronavirus to be over. We're wanting the, all, the, all the conflict and trauma and pain and frustration that we've caused each other to be over. We're all wanting all of these things to stop. We're a little emotional. We're a little exhausted. We're a little bit like that dried up brook ourselves where we're feeling dry and empty. 
And the second thing that we see in Elijah is that kingdom faith always requires action. It's not enough for us just to hear the word of the Lord. We have to learn to walk in the words that the Lord gives us. We have to learn to walk in the word of the Lord. So verse 8 says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and he said, Bring me a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it to her, he called her and said, Also, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said this, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, and I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I'm gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go and prepare myself and my son to eat and die. This is not the funnest passage that we're, we've come across in the text. This is what she's saying. There's a drought in the land. We've got nothing. We've got a little jar, right? Imagine this little jar, and that little jar has all the flour that they have left in the world. It's their only chance of eating. There's nothing left in it except a tiny little bit. I can make five biscuits, and that's all we got. And, and I'm getting ready. I'm gathering these sticks so that I can start a fire so that we can eat our last little thing that we have. There's nothing left. The drought has come. Everything's dried up. And, and here's what we begin to see in this beautiful, beautiful way in this passage. This is such a beautiful picture of the church. What we see is we see the intertwining of God's calling. God has called Elijah to be there for the widow, and he's called the widow to be there for Elijah. What happens when we act in faith, when we walk where the kingdom requires us to walk, is what happens is we bless one another. What happens is we get to have eyes to see and to heal and to love and to serve and to care and to be kind and to, be, to, to, to pursue justice and righteousness and holiness. All of these things happen. So Elijah is sent by God to be a prophet, but the widow is sent by God to encourage him and to stay with him and to help him and to serve him. And both of these things require action. Elijah has to leave the brook and go to this strange place inside him. And, and the widow has to give up up the little tiny amount of bread that she has left and has to have enough faith and trust in God that when she gives the last of what she has, God will multiply and provide more. There's this faith that's happening in both of their lives that is encouraging one another and walking with another. Both Elijah's faith and the widow's faith are intertwined together. And I don't know of a better picture of what the church should be in 2020 and in 2021 than this is we are the people who give the last of our jars. We are the people who go where God calls us to go. We are the people who sacrifice for one another. We are the people who encourage one another. And we are the people whose faith is so intertwined that the number one question we're asking each other is what is the dream that God is awakening inside of your heart and inside of your soul and how can I help you get there? There's a story uh, from Germany, actually, of a little boy that read this story with his parents. And as he read this story with his parents, he was in the middle of a big city. And as he read this story for the first time with his parents, they were poor and they were struggling. And he said, hey, mom, maybe what we need to do is we need to leave the door open and pray that, that, that the raven comes and gives us food. So if the raven gave Elijah food, then maybe a, maybe a raven will come and give us food. And so 
His mom kind of was like, well, I don't know. We live in a city. It's a little dangerous to leave the door open. I guess it's okay for us to do it. We'll close the door at 9 o'clock at night, but we'll leave it open until then and, and just satisfy my son's curiosity in this. About 8.30 at night, a policeman kind of was walking his beat in the community and looking around, and he noticed the door was open and thought, man, this is troubling. What's going on in this house? I hope everybody's okay. He knocks on the door, and, and the, the, the woman who's there explains, well, sorry, officer, my son, you know, we'll close the door. We'll be safe. We don't have a lot of food right now. We're struggling financially. Uh, we just read this story in 1 Kings 17 of a raven, and the raven from God brought food, and the police officer looked at the woman after she told the story, and he said, I'll be your raven. And he provided food for them that day. And for the subsequent next two months, he provided food for them. Every single night, they would leave the door open, and the police officer would come and give them a meal over and over and over again. This is the call on the church. We're called to be the raven. We're called to be the widow. We're called to be the people who sacrifice for one another, who encourage one another, who stand beside one another, who love one another, who see the kingdom even when the brook is drying up. Even when the jar is almost empty, we see that we serve a God who is full of abundance and not scarcity. And so even when it looks like the brook is dried up, even when it appears that the jar is empty, God is just beginning to work. He's teaching you, don't trust the brook. Don't trust the jar. Trust me. And so often in our life, we're so focused on our exterior, what's right in front of us. We're so focused on on the things that are right there that we can see that we miss the kingdom. We don't have eyes to see the kingdom. We only have eyes to see the world. And so we can only see the challenges. We can only see the problems. We can only see the difficulties. And so we walk around as if we have no hope or no faith or, 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 or no ability to walk in the things that God has called us to walk in. We walk and we live in discouragement and frustration and anger and in helplessness and hopelessness when God is saying over and over again, whenever I am involved, there is hope. Whenever I am involved, there is abundance. Whenever I am involved, there is hope. So Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour will not be spent and the jug of oil will never be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So as long as the drought exists, I will provide. As long as the drought is here, as long as there is scarcity over here, I'm going to bring abundance over here is what God says. And she and her household ate for many days and the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, here's what I think. I think this is an amazing thing, both for Elijah and both for the widow and her son. Can you imagine living in those days when the jar just never empties? For Elijah, it's a lot better than raven food, I think. Right? I'll take biscuits over whatever the ravens are eating anytime. Elijah's preferring this space to the brook. Right? For, the, for the widow, they're just seeing God's miracle over and over again. They wake up knowing, just like God sent manna from heaven to the Israelites, this is happening again in my house, in my home. The miracle that I read about in Scripture, the miracle that's been told to me over and over again, the story of God's provision in my past is actually living out in my daily life right now. Now, there's this season of miracles, there's this season of joy, there's this season of excitement, but then here's what happens. 
And I don't know why this happens. And I, I, I'm like, this is hard when we read texts like this. And this feels like 2020 when I read texts like this. But the widow's son gets sick and he dies. The little boy in the middle of it, I don't know if he was sick before Elijah showed up. I don't know if he was sick, uh, like if there was some kind of history of health things going on in his life. But the little boy dies. The brook goes dry, dry again. The jar is empty again. The sun is dead. And, and this is where this passage hit me really hard this week. Verse 19. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and he carried him into the upper chamber where he was living and he laid him down on his own bed and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? He's standing at the brook again. Lord, I've done everything you've asked me why is the son still dead? I've done everything you've invited me to do. Why is this widow's son not living? I have sojourned here. I've walked here. And here's the last thing that I want us to realize is that kingdom faith cries out to God believing that he is good. That even when the jar is empty, that even when the brook is dried up, that even when the son is dead, we still trust and believe that God is good. Verse 21, it says, then he stretched himself upon the child, and three times he cried out to the Lord. O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. There's this persistent prayer. There's this crying out with emotions and with his heart. I don't know if you've ever prayed for something so powerfully that it brought you to tears. I don't know if you've ever prayed for something so passionately that it felt like you threw yourself on the ground in front of the Lord asking him. I don't know if you've begged God on your behalf. This is what Elijah does. And three times, persistently, he prays. And then this says, verse 22, and the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, and he brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and he delivered to him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is true. So as I look at this chapter, it's this weird, bizarre chapter, isn't it? I, I, I kind of wish it was different. Are you with me? Like, I kind of wish that when Elijah went to the brook, everything worked out. I kind of wish that when the jar was filled, that everything turned into like a Disney movie at the end, and everybody gave each other hugs, and it worked out perfectly. I kind of wish over and over again that there wasn't this mix of provision and pain in the world. I kind of wish that there wasn't these moments of brokenness and these moments of joy and these moments of excitement and these moments of peace and then these moments of great pain and great hurt and great conflict. But the truth is, is that's the world we live in. We live in a sin-scarred world that God is putting back together again. The phrase we use around here is the story of God is God putting his family back together again through his son Jesus. That's the story of all of Scripture. And all of this is leading us to a place where God will redeem and restore all things. Will everything will go back to the state that it was in the garden. When, and, and here's the good news. 
God is the God of the brook when it's flowing and when it's dry. God is the God of the jar when it's empty or when it's full. And God is the God of the sun when he's living or when he's dead. And here's the reality. We are the brook, friends. We are the jar. And we are the sun. And there's moments when we feel this amazing joy and this amazing excitement that God is working. God is showing up. Great things are happening. This is what it feels like to be a pastor sometimes. Some Sundays it's like, whoa, everything's great. Right? Everything's amazing. This is the best church in the world. Things are going great. And then there's Sundays when there's five people in the room. It's the reality of where we are. And God is teaching us over and over again that he's our provider, that he's our protector. There's a song that I've been listening to for really for like the past month, and it's just been on repeat. I don't know if you guys get this way. I drive my my wife crazy with this because I like find one song and I just listen to it over and over again. Uh, I'm, I'm a one-song kind of guy, right? I, I'm, 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 I, I love my one song. And so I found this one worship song that's just been stirring in my head over and over again. It's called Isaiah's Song. And I keep re-listening to it because I need this hope. And here's what it says. It says, I might be empty, but he is the well. So draw from me, I will provide. He's making ways in the wilderness. He's making rivers in the desert. And the chorus says, sing, sing, O barren land, for water is coming to the thirsty. Though you are empty, I am the well. Draw from me, I will provide. And I have listened to that song over and over and over again. And in the middle of 2020, when it's felt like the brook has dried up, when it's felt like the well is dry, I've been singing, singing, O barren land. Like there's a prophetic call in this. And as we show up today for the church, I recognize that everybody in the room, that everybody's experienced some kind of collective fatigue in the middle of 2020, that we're tired, that we're dry, that we're empty, that we're dead, we're feeling used up, and we believe that we want to continue to act for the kingdom, but sometimes finding that faith is hard. And so I want to encourage us with just a few things this morning. One is, can we be a people like the widow whose faith is intertwined with Elijah? Can we be the people that are encouraging each other to keep going even when it's hard? Could we be the people like the police officer who show up at the door and provide for the people around us? Could we be the people that are God's agents in God's good works in the world? Sometimes the people of the world go hungry because the people of God aren't working. Sometimes there is pain and there is anguish and there is suffering in the world because the people of God have refused to stand up and speak against it. Sometimes there's hurt and there's brokenness and there's pain because the people of God have chosen not to heal. And oftentimes what we do is we wait for this, uh, we wait for a king to make a change. We wait for an election to make the difference. We wait for a president to do all these things. And we put our hope and our faith in a system that we were never meant to place our hope and faith in. Instead, we should be turning to God. We should be pouring our hearts out saying, Lord, there is a barren land. There is hurting. There is hunger. There is brokenness. There is division. There is pain. There is sickness. All of these things are anti your kingdom. And so we want your kingdom to come on heaven as it is in earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus said this, Matthew 11, verse 28. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle with a lowly heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
In John 4, 13, Jesus said to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And in John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. Jesus, over and over and over again, is saying, when the brook is dried up, I still have water. When the jar is empty, I still have food. When death seems like it's won, resurrection is still available. So today, I, I just want to end the service with a similar honesty in our hearts towards God that 1 Kings chapter 17 shares, us, shares with us. Because it shares with us this brokenness and this healing. It shares with us this good stuff that's happening and this hurt that's happening. And they're both side by side and they're both the reality of the world that we live in. And so I wonder what it would be like as we go to a time of communion. Every time we take communion, we remember God's sent his son to die for us, that his blood was what paid for our sins, that, that his grace is sufficient, that his table is always available, that he is good and that he is for us. And so I wonder today if when we come to the table, we just name to him, God, I feel like the brook is empty and I need your presence. God, I feel like the jar is empty and I, 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 I need you to show up in this area of my life. This part of my heart feels dead and I'm asking for you to move. And so, Heavenly Father, in a land that is desperate for water, we ask you again to provide. In a world that feels tired and empty, we ask again that you would refill us. In a world that feels dead and without hope, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would resurrect your church. I pray that the people of God would no longer compromise, that the people of God would no longer turn their backs and turn their face towards culture or towards anyone else other than you, and that we would face our eyes and our affection on you. And I pray that the people of God would get to work bringing the kingdom here. So bring us a river in the desert. Give us joy in our sadness. Give us water for our thirsty souls. Give us an anointing of your presence. And I pray, Lord, that you would move the church in America from a barren season to a season of birth and of growth and of resurrection. I pray that you would teach us to come to the end of ourselves so that we can find you. I pray that we would intertwine our faith with one another so that we would encourage each other and walk with one another and stand with one another. And Heavenly Father, today we declare that sometimes our emptiness is our offering. Sometimes our emptiness is all we can bring. Sometimes we are the brook. Sometimes we are the jar. Sometimes we are the widow's son. And so we come to you empty, but we ask you to fill us. We come to you dry, but we ask for an outpouring of your love and grace and mercy, a flow of your Holy Spirit that changes everything. And so, Lord, in these quiet moments as we seek you, as we worship together again, as we close the service, as we take communion together here in this room, I just pray that your Spirit would encourage us that your spirit would guide us, 
that your spirit would direct us. I pray, Heavenly Father, for an outpouring of then the Lord said in each of our lives. And I pray that we would follow and obey. We thank you, God, that you are with us. We thank you that you are redeeming and restoring all things. We ask that you would teach us to walk with you. It's in your name we pray. We're going to move into a time of...